August 22nd, 2023. We're in If you come from the bottom of the Amud, we are eight lines up. Uh, the last word on the line, or Vichitema, or maybe the first words on the line, even better, Hachename. If you recall, uh, this is the context of the Gemara. The Mishnah talked about a circumstance, a situation where a woman borrows on Yom Tov from her friend, from her neighbor, um, ingredients for bread. The status of the bread, in turn, is determined by both of those individuals, the person who's baking the bread and the person who some of those ingredients were borrowed from. And the context specifically is with regards to Eruv Tehumin, with regards to how far the person can travel with that loaf of bread. The status of the bread is Kiragleshe Tehim. I think it's been enough days that we don't need to review specifically and entirely exactly what that means. Now the Gemara then presented how uh, some of Hachme Eris Israel, the rabbis in Ma'arava, in the West as they uh, describe it, were bothered. Three rabbis were sitting together and questioning how come the ingredients which were lent for this loaf of bread aren't batil, they're not nullified in this loaf of bread. As we mentioned, the Torah says this pasuk, this concept of aharera bim lehatot, we go based on majority. It's true the Torah mentions it in the context of court, but the Gemara, the Hachamim, understand this as applying across the board in almost all circumstances, in Masechet Cholin and Dafyodalef specifically, but this is what we generally assume. Much of the laws of uh, rabbis, when they're learning the laws of Kashrut, are not per se uh, behind and dealing with, well, uh, this species of an animal is kosher and that one's not. It's basad halav. It's what happens if milk and meat get mixed. When is it nullified? How is it nullified? When is it not? And so forth. Uh, that's what we apply. In these sorts of circumstances, why don't we apply it as well in our Mishnah? How come the uh, salt, the pepper, the water, which was lent by the neighbor, has a status, has a standing in this loaf of bread? We should say there's bitu. Uh, the Gemara then has been challenging and dealing and back and forth having a conversation about this. Rav Safra suggested, uh, basing himself on another circumstance, what we learned about yesterday, uh, that maybe when there's a weight which was added or diminished, in his case, from a mixture, it has a particular standing. He gave the example of the pebbles in the millstone. If a person were to remove them, we penalize that person. True. A little bit, oh, in terms of finding rocks, in terms of finding pebbles even today. Yes, I thought you were going to say that, you know, that we're paying attention to even the small kernels in the rice. It's Pesach, it's Afilu Be'elif Lo Batil. But over here, yes, I, so, uh, um, so Eli points out that we do find pebbles, even until today, small pebbles at the very least, sometimes crept into our food. Certainly in a time when you're dealing with a mill, which is out in the open, and it's a little bit more of a mom and pop shop, uh, what you're dealing with is a circumstance where we're going to measure for the buyers, the seller will, uh, from the wheat or the flour that he's selling, and the pebbles that are inside of it are important for him. Although he doesn't per se need them to be in there for the sale, he'd rather it be fine flour. Ultimately speaking, it weighs it down. He's very happy with it. And everybody understands that there will be a few pebbles in there, which will help the sale. It'll weigh it down a little bit. That's an expected and understood, understood circumstance situation. What if I come and I pick the pebbles out of your millstone? I am in turn obligated to pay for it. But wait a second, we should say it's batel. We should say it's nullified. Says the Gemara said, Rav Safra, you see kila, you see that what we're dealing with in this circumstances, we're uh, diminishing the weight and alma kila hasre. 
the weight was diminished, and as a result, you have to pay for that. We take that into account. So to an hour, Mishnah, in the case of the loaf of bread, by adding to the weight of this bread with the salt, the pepper, the water, albeit a small amount, it's something it won't at all be nullified. That's what we saw in the Gemara. Abaye challenged that. Abaye's challenge to that, if you recall, was, uh, was Jeffrey's challenge. Jeffrey said, listen, in the circumstance situation where I pulled out the pebbles from your mixture, uh, that's what's called mamon sheyesh lo tov'im. You want to get those pebbles back. It's important for you that those pebbles be in there. They have a monetary value and status for you to the extent that you would bring me to court and say, oh, you took the pebbles out. In our circumstance, our situation, when the woman lends any of those ingredients for the loaf of bread, in her mind, she absolved herself. She took herself out of any ownership stake in those ingredients over the course of the day. She knows and assumes she's going to get paid back for it after the holiday. On the holiday, she doesn't imagine, unless you're in some strange giving community like that, that she's now going to knock on the door and say, I'd like a little bit of that bread because it's partially mine. By definition, I asked you for the ingredient. I knock on your door. I say, can I have an egg or two? You're giving me the egg or two. Even if you think I'm paying you back for it, it's now in my loaf for bread, and it's now for all intents and purposes mine. In that situation, says Abaye, uh, well, there should be bitul. In other words, your claim was because there's a weight which was added, there's no bitul, that's only because the weight which was added maintained its ba'alut. It maintained the ownership status of the initial owner, the one who had the pebbles, the one who had the flour and pebbles together. Over here, by, by lending it on the holiday, it's what we call mamon she'en lo tov'im. Last stage yesterday was who said that you should distinguish? Ownership is not per se uh, the predominant feature with regards to determining whether there'll be bitul or not. That there's only nullification, bitul, looking at it as if it doesn't exist when the owners have absolved themselves, when they're out of the picture. No, 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 it's not, excuse me, quite the opposite, that there's no nullification, well, the same idea, only when they kept the stake in it, and as a result, there should be a, um, a specifically an issue over here. It says the Gemara, we have bitul, even when there's no ownership uh, stakes in it or otherwise. Uh, for example, we, we had this example, we had this situation where, again, in the context of Rabbi Huda, not, not, uh, not the relevancy of the context for our purposes, certainly today, not so much uh, of highest uh, importance, but the circumstance was we had a nevela being betela b'shechuta. We had a carcass being batel, losing its status when it's mixed in with a mixture of many slaughtered animals with regards to Tum'a and Tahara. And we didn't take into account the fact that over there it was maybe mamon she'esh lo tovim or mamon she'en lo tovim. We didn't distinguish between ownership or not. Clearly, bitul is not determined by ownership. Even when there's an ownership, there should be, uh, it, we should not distinguish with regards to bitul. Says the Gemara, says the Gemara, maybe, indeed, in the case of when you had the carcass, again, we're seven lines down from the top, the carcass which was mixed in with the many slaughtered pieces of meat. If the owner status of that carcass was maintained, there wouldn't be bitul. After all, that was the claim you were making. Uh, we have an explicit proof against that. V'hatanya amar biyohanan ben Nuri konin shevita lahem ba'alim domin kimi lahem ba'alim. 
let's just flesh this out and really understand this and in turn understand how we got stuck in our Gemara. The circumstances, once again, holiday. No longer carcasses or slaughtered animals. Holiday. And it's what's called hefkir. I come across something which is hefkir. It's ownerless. And I'm interested in using it on the holiday. You know something? Not only will I use it, I'll travel with it. I don't know what. It's a pouch. And it's good for my walk. I pick it up and I start walking with it. It was ownerless. Does it now become my status? Does it now have the place and distance that I can walk, limitations and, and abilities? If I put my eruv in that direction, I could go 4,000 amah with this pouch, even though I found it in the middle of the city. The halakha is it gets status as if it has an owner. What do you mean as if it has an owner? It gets the status of ownership. Who said it's care? it's ownerless. By definition, something does not, halakhically speaking, we're saying, lose any status because you don't know or can't designate its owner, it gets a almost ghost ownership. It gets an anonymous ownership. Again, I found that pouch. It now has standard restrictions. Even though me, Avi Harari, I put my Eruv to the north and I can go 4,000 amah to the north, this pouch can only go 2,000 amah all around equidistant circumference of the city. Well, that being the case, what we've then established is we're not distinguishing between ownership or lack of ownership. If you recall, that's what we were just pushing everything back. We said in the case of the pebbles, the reason there was no bitul was because there's ownership. I'm going to make the claim. You took the pebbles out of my mill or you'll make the claim against me. That was what we were suggesting on that end. In the case of the loaf of bread, we were alternatively suggesting there should be yes bitul. Why should there be nullification? Because there's no ownership. The woman gave me the salt, the pepper, the water. It gets nullified. Says the Gemara, but we don't distinguish between ownership or non-ownership. I'll bring you a proof that we don't distinguish. Over here, there's no ownership to this pouch that I found on the ground. And nonetheless, it has a status as if it has an owner. We don't distinguish the suggestion of the Gemara is between mamon shiyesh lo tovim and mamon en lo tovim in these sorts of circumstances. All right, that's, that's really what we're... Go ahead. You're not. You're just picking it up without you taking ownership and walking with it. No, I gotcha. Jeffrey's saying, Jeffrey's saying, in this particular case, I found the pouch, why don't I just take ownership and then it's mine? You can't, right? So you're not making a kinyan on it. You just pick. There is no owner. Let's say this has a name. Then it's not hefkeh. Then it's got the status of the owner, no question over here. Over here it's ownerless, but you are not taking possession of it, it's holiday. Nonetheless, it has ghost ownership, it has quasi-ownership. But again, the purpose of us citing this most specifically is to say, we're not distinguishing between ownership or not. If you're telling me there is bitul or there's not bitul, and in our circumstance you were saying there's no bitul, don't tell me it's because there was ownership, even when there's not ownership. I can't take ownership, so therefore you want to take it as ownership. In other words, if I can't take that, if I find this watch on the thing, and the, you know no one's there, if I can't take ownership, clearly there's ownership. Good. In the situation, beautiful. I'll, I'll just play devil's advocate. I borrowed the salt, the pepper, the water. I want to say now, after the holi
I broke the eggs. Good. Wait, I borrowed eggs from you. Good, you borrowed. Who's responsible? I got you. So therefore, we should consider, even in the loaf of bread, as if there is ownership to the other person. Not the other person. I borrowed from you. I borrowed. But why am I giving something back to you afterwards if it was entirely not yours? I'm a borrower from you. I make the bread. I'm a borrower from you. I borrowed eggs to make the bread. Midway to my house, the eggs cracked. Who's responsible? You or me? I'm responsible. Of course. Okay. So if but, I put in my mind, but responsible to who? To you. Why? Because, appar- because apparently I have some stake in it. So as a result, the, the, the parallel, I understand your distinction, but the parallel in turn to the hefker is, well, uh, I am allowed to carry it. Isn't it mine now? So you say it's not yours because you can't take ownership. I'm telling you, I can't take ownership of the eggs, the water, or the salt either. It's yours. I'm the borrower. I have ability to do things with it. Indeed, there is. I got. I got. So, in other words, Jeffrey is suggesting in the case where I borrow the salt, water, or or, or um, spice, in that situation, well, he's saying the opposite. He's saying you have more of an ownership status because you have a status of sho'el to the extent that we took the other person out of it and we should imagine more, uh, 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 what's it called, bitul, than this case that the Gemara is citing, where it's hefker. He says it's hefker, it's true, objectively, we say it has no owner, but it's, so to speak, it has more ownership than when I had the salt water or, or, um, or spices. That's an interesting and, and good point in terms of distinguishing. The Gemara is another way of, of, of knocking this out, but it's an interesting, uh, I have to give that a little bit more thought. Says the Gemara, Amar le mika midamet isura le mamona, question mark, isura batil, mamona la batil. The question in turn is, you told me that we should have bitul because we, excuse me, you told me that we should not have, uh, oh, I lost it here. Uh, the Gemara just cited the case of Hefkir to say that even when there's no owner, we're going to imagine it as if there is an owner. And in turn, you defended that there should be bitul. The counter argument is there should still be no bitul because when we're dealing with a circumstance of isur, meaning permitted and not permitted, meaning eruv tehomin and isur tehomin. That's the circumstance, that's the situation where we talk about bitul. I say to you, something not permitted got mixed with something permitted. In that situation, there's bitul. That's in contrast, and that's in, the, in no way parallel. It might be touching a little bit upon, Jeffrey, what you're saying. It's just articulating it differently to what's called mamona, when it's a financial difference and there is another owner, there's no bitul. In other words, you're trying to prove to me, uh, your suggestion is the reason there's no bitul, Rav Safra, you told me at the beginning of today's class, at the end of the, yesterday's class, is because I'm going to liken it to the pebbles in the mill, and I'm going to say the same way there are pebbles in the mill that don't become nullified, so too in our case where there's uh, water or salt or spices in this mixture, it shouldn't be nullified. Bad example. I'll tell you why. The pebbles in the mill is a financial question. It's a question with regards to who owns this and where did it transfer and so on and so forth and how did I lose or gain, etc. Our circumstance of the water and the salt and the, and the, and the pepper, nobody was questioning Bitul with regards to um, the financial status. What we're really talking about is Bitul with regards to the entity. Is this entity now restricted 2,000 amount or not? 
with regards to restrictions, not ownership. We can talk about ownership separately. Maybe there is no bitul with regards to ownership, with regards to isur, with regards to status, with regards to um, is it permitted or is it restricted. That's where we always apply bitul. Your suggestion was we stop bitul because there's an ownership stake in this. It's just not the reality. When it comes to Isur, we don't care about ownership. We could deal with paying it back afterwards, but Bitul is a question with regards to the status of the item itself. It's a rhetorical question. There should always be, when I'm dealing with permitted or not permitted circumstances, nullification, which is readily available. When it comes to finance, financial culpability and things of that sort, lobatil. So it means that we're really back to square one. Our question in turn goes like this. That's right. I don't know if it's a It's reality. You're telling me that I dropped my money into your bank account. It's gone. Why batil? It was my money. What are you talking about? If you tell me alternatively, hovering above it, permitted or not permitted, oh, that's metaphysical, right? Is this now that it loses its status as permitted or not? Okay, then we could talk about it. We can understand. There's several opinions in the room. Ten say he's guilty. Nine say he's innocent. He's guilty. What happened to the innocent voices? Okay, it's not that they disappeared. The people are still here. The opinions have been nullified. When it comes to financial culpability, that's what we're saying there's no bitul. So the Gemara then is saying any example that you brought me, i.e. the pebble case, that was a financial question. Our case has nothing to do with finances. Finances we could discuss separately. Finances do I have to pay back? Uh, absolutely. But my question is not about finances. My question was never about finances. My question was about whether the restrictions of the 2000 Amma apply to this loaf of bread or not. Do they or do they not? Well, depend, well, what does it depend on? Was it absolved, was it swallowed up or not? That's what the Gemara says. The Gemara then is stuck. Says the Gemara, if that's the case, we really are back to square one. Why is there no B2? Why is there no nullification in the case of the loaf of bread where the woman borrowed the salt or the pepper or the water for the loaf of bread? Our Mishnah said quite clearly, the status of this loaf of bread is both the woman who baked it and the woman who lent for it. Why so? I don't understand, says the Gemara. We should have bitul. We could talk about mamonot separately. But there should be bitul. Says the Gemara, two answers. Abaye Amar, Gezera Sheme Ta'ase Isa Beshutafut. Abaye's response and his explanation is this is all a rabbinic restriction. What do you mean rabbinic restriction? What are you referring to? Shutafut. Shutafut means partnership. Which means to say effectively it goes like this, there is nullification. In reality, when the woman borrowed the eggs, uh, well, oh, I add eggs, but water or salt or pepper for the loaf of bread, the ingredients for the loaf of bread, there is nullification. This be tool. The rabbi said, but we, we're not going to look at it that way. Why not look at it that way? It's going to be misleading. Misleading in what way? What if someone owns a loaf of bread, Beshutafut? We own, we share a bakery. We have shared loaves of bread. What's the status going to be over there? Everybody's going to agree there's no bitul. That's an objective situation. We share the full ownership of every particle and every piece of this loaf of bread and any loaf of bread. In that situation, it's That's like the, the, the shirt which was owned by both of us, the barrel which was owned by both of us, the animal which was owned by both That's an easy situation. Where do you take that? Right. You own both on the bakery. Who could take it where? 
the halacha will be it's kirad lishetim. You could take it based on the restrictions of both of us. That's clear. You can't argue that. Like the shirt, it's going to have the restrictions of both of us. If, however, which is going to be more common a case, I start saying, well, if you took the salt and the pepper and the water from the neighbor, it gets swallowed up and it has the status only of the person who takes it, the borrower, people are going to make mistakes. People are going to say, well, when it comes to bread, apparently it's different. What do you mean it's different? That means to say that any time it's a loaf of bread, I could carry it wherever I want based on my status. There's a fear. There's a restriction. It's a gezerah of the hachamim. The gezerah of the hachamim is once we accept or once we determine that the loaf of bread is, is, is decided by the person who's holding on to it, people will make the mistake of applying that across the board even when it's a partnership in the loaf of bread, which is clearly a different reality. You say it's a far-fetched uh, gezerah, Okay, that's Abaye's suggestion. So, so again, the owner of the salt doesn't have to say we're partners in this. You know, right. When you give the salt, they know they're not getting it back. They know they're not getting it back, and they're clearly not partners. Nonetheless, Gezerah, because of a partnership, and we treat you as if you're a partner. That's how Abaye understands. Neither one can go past the 2,000? Well, if I have, it could be worse than that. If I have 3,000 to the north, it means I only have 1,000 to the south. Right? Okay. Even though you have equal 2,000 all around, you get only 1,000 that way, and I get only 2,000 in the direction of, that you have. We take the restrictions of both. That's the halakha that we were t- talking about and, and, and would apply in turn over here. Rava Amar Rava has a different interpretation to why there's no bitul over here, specifically again in our Mishnah, where there were borrowed ingredients for the loaf of bread. Tavlin leta'ama avid. Uh, Rava's explanation alternatively is this is a different type of situation. What do you mean different type of situation? He says, well, look at what you're dealing with. You're dealing with critical ingredients, is his suggestion. Critical ingredients like a spice for a dish, like water for the loaf of bread. I'll explain to you why I said it like that in a moment. That's something that is inseparable and cannot be considered to be just swallowed up by the larger amount. When we talk about bitul, you know, le mashal, I've given this example more than once. When there was the conversation, if they were visible, which they determined were not visible to the naked eye, of the bugs in the water, right? In that situation, everybody said, why don't you just say this bitul? If you recall, some 20 years ago, they're talking about using filters on all of our faucets. Why don't you just say this bitul? The answer was because it's a berya, because it's a Full organism, full organisms don't ever have bitul if it was a full uh, a bug in the, in the water. Um, if it's alternatively something that's called ma'amid, by definition, this item is what upholds the, uh, the, the food. Uh, there's no bitul over there either. The suggestion in turn of rava is the ingredients that we're dealing with, specifically in our circumstance, are to the extent important that there's no bitul, there's no nullification. But they're the minority, they're 1%, doesn't matter, but that's very significant. Rashi's interpretation is it's split, whereas Abaye was talking about the loaf of bread, Rava is talking about the dish, whereas Abaye was talking about shutafut, you'll deal with it in a bakery. Rava is talking about it with a dish of food which was made not baked, and therefore he's talking about the spices. Tosafot says these are equally apparent and, and, and possible in each of those circumstances. It means at this point the Gemara has two answers to why there's no bitul, either the giz- 
Gezerah, the rabbinic restriction, because of shutafut, because of partnership, or alternatively, the ingredients we're dealing with are so important, there's no bitul that's possible on them. You can't in any way imagine this getting lost. It's so important. It's what upholds the taste of the bread. It's what brings forth the consistency of the bread with regards to the water. And as a result, there's no bitul over here, specifically because of these ingredients. Baruch Adonai, the ulama,